Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Today we're going to be recapping the month of February, all the UFC action that went down, and joining me for the very first time is the host of the Die Hard MMA podcast. I'm talking about the man himself, Clint McClain. Clint, welcome to Half the Battle. Dan, what's up, buddy? It's so weird to say to hear you saying the first time on Half the Battle. We've done uh, so many shows together at this point. It's funny to think that it's actually my first time on the show, so I'm super excited. This is awesome. Appreciate you having me, man. I'm, I'm pumped up. Oh, man, this is long time overdue. I mean, it's crazy talking about it like it's the first time because it seems like we've been here so many times before. So it's just, you know, good to talk fights with someone like you that we might be like minded, but we're also not afraid to butt heads in a respectful manner and an entertaining manner, too. And let's just have some fun, man. There's so much to talk about. February was a crazy ass month, all capped off with UFC future Hall of Famer and former two-time heavyweight champion Kane Velasquez getting arrested for attempted murder. That's where we're going to start the show off. I mean, listen, man, at first there was a lot of speculation and there still is, you know, it was, oh man, was it self-defense? Is it CTE related? Because, you know, you hear about a former fighter going and doing some shit like that. You wonder like, oh man, all the wars, all this and that caught up to him. But then you hear the harrowing details, man, that, I mean, we don't listen. We don't know all the facts yet. We just know what's been re reported as of right now. And what we're hearing is that he went after a dude that allegedly abused his child in in daycare. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I, I like. I really have no words. Like, I, I was thinking like about how passionate I'm going to be talking about this, but like now that the moment comes, it's like I don't even know what to say about it, man. Because it's like. I know what lengths I'd be willing to go to for my family. And I'm not trying to sit here and acting like macho man or any bullshit like that. But I just know that like prison's the last thing on my mind. Dying is the last thing on my mind when it comes to family, man. I'd literally do anything for them. So honestly, man, I hope his fucking lawyer is amazing because it's not him who should be behind bars right now. I I'm right there with you, man. These are the types of situations. I mean, it, you know, 2020. Ever since that year happened, it's all off to the races, man. Cain Velasquez, accused of murder, was not on my 2022 bingo card. Was not expecting to see that headline today. And my first reaction, and, and I'm kind of glad I didn't tweet this because I do always try to be a little bit funny. Um, but I was like, man, Cain Velasquez had better not go all John Jones on us. Like, that's the last thing I, I can't handle Cain Velasquez going full John Jones on me. And then as the details started coming out, like you mentioned, I mean, man, I've, I've got a kid. I've got a little girl. And I can only imagine, like, if, if that's the real story, if that's really what happened, someone abused his child, man, set the man free. I have zero problems. If he went after somebody, he abused his child. Um, the, there's certain lines you don't cross in this world, man. And especially when you're talking about putting hands on kids, that's one of them. So Kane, I, I hope he's got, like you mentioned, the best lawyer in the world. Hopefully he's got a good, you know, jury when this thing comes to comes around. I don't think he should feel any regrets for what he was doing. If that is in fact the situation, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned at first, it's easy to jump to conclusions before you hear some of those things and, you know, make jokes about, oh, they're 10 years too late for the murder he put on JDS. But it's like, nah, this is like some real shit yeah. that we're dealing with here, man. And um, 
yeah, I mean, we we can only hope for the best. Like, I don't in, condone in, violence, man. But if there was ever a situation where I'm like, eh, I'm not saying it's right, but I get it. Like, <laughs> that's this is this is that situation, you know. I mean, look, I I'm a firm believer in second chances. I believe that you can bounce back from a lot, man. You can change your life around. But one thing that, in my opinion, in my opinion, you can never ever bounce back from. There's no second chance from abusing a child. Like exactly. that's just you just you just cannot bounce back from that and that, that's my opinion so we'll see what happens in the in the in the you know the next few days uh as far as this is concerned but if what we are reading is in fact true then hashtag free Kane velasquez yeah free Kane velasquez all all team velasquez over here <laughs> yeah all right so let's talk about you know what's been going on in february man obviously you had islam makachev coming out here defeating bobby green look i I'm just glad he made it look easy and that Bobby didn't have to take too much damage. And what a G Bobby is stepping up on, you know, a week short notice after he had just won his fight against Nazrat, which like, you know, on a side note, thanks for that easy money, Bobby Green. I really appreciate that. But like, <laughs> dude, after you take a fight and you win, you know, these fighters are out here ballooning up, eating everything because they've been dieting so hard, like um, to, to make the way for a guy like that to make 155 pounds. I hear you ballooned up 180, 190 pounds, close to 200. And they're like, uh, Turn back around, come back and fight at this 160 pound catchweight against, you know, <laughs> this 20 and one <laughs> Russian. <laughs> you know what I mean? This guy who a lot of people are saying is the heir apparent to Habib, the guy who allegedly might be the guy who's currently minus 475 against Charles Oliveira. Come fight that guy uh, on a week short notice. And dude, he did it. And listen, I know it says first round TKO, but I still think Bobby can turn around here pretty quickly. I don't think he took too much damage. No, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, this is one where, honestly, I, I was talking about how, you know, Dan Hooker came in for a paycheck and, and he didn't really take it too seriously. And he tapped out pretty quick in the first round. And I, I thought Bobby was going to come in with a bit of a different attitude, that chip on his shoulder he's been fighting with lately and and have some more success. But damn, man, like Islam's legit. <laughs> he came in and did the damn thing. It doesn't seem like Bobby Green was overly hurt. Uh, which is a good thing, definitely. I think he can make a turnaround, get right back on the horse. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm just floored by you know what Islam's been able to do lately. Can't wait for the next couple fights. I was kind of hoping he would return the favor and pull that G move and get right back in the cage on Saturday, but uh, that one's not meant to be. I guess our DA is going to have to wait for that one. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they clear Bobby. Like two fights in a row, last one being a first round TKO. Like no, no way in hell. No, no, I'm in Islam. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. I, I'm in Islam making the turn around <laughs> oh and i mean speaking of that i mean the balls on this guy islam because it's like you have a title shot secure young man like you don't need to take this fight and it's more so to kind of shut people up because there's this whole narrative about how oh he beat bobby green and now he's getting a title shot and it's actually like no he beat the last 10 opponents they put in front of him and he's getting a title shot not to mention he was supposed to fight benil dariush and you know, we hope Benil Dariush makes a very speedy recovery. He's got a serious injury, but I mean, it's not Islam's fault that Benil couldn't make it to the fight. It's not Benil's yeah. fault either. I mean, we hope Benil recovers fast. Islam did his job. Like, I get what people are saying as far as the resume is concerned, but I mean, come on. He's beat some tough-ass guys, man. He beat Armin Saruki in 30-27, which one does not literally do <laughs> hold on someone says something funny my boy <laughs> white boy is glowing I'm, I'm sure he's talking about me uh it's it's this lighting man I, I yeah long story but anyways um 
You gotta you gotta get the adjustable ones, Dan, so you can crank that bad boy up, turn it down a little. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm gonna get my my producer in here. We'll get it all take. Oh, we'll get it all situated one day. But until then, you're gonna have to deal with the shiny white boy. But uh, <laughs> man, I uh, shiny white boy. <laughs> I, I feel like okay, like dude, like just because he hasn't what you want to go see him beat up Tony Ferguson. Will that make you happy? Will that make you feel like he deserves a title shot? You want to see him go whoop on Michael Chandler. Will that make you happy? It's like, guys, just stop. Like you either recognize skill or you don't. And if you don't realize that Islam Makachev is clearly a top three guy, you know, not to act like I'm some genius, but like you clearly don't know what you're watching. Like this guy is evidently elite as fuck. And there's a reason he's minus 475 against Charles. I'm not saying that he's going to, I'm not saying he's going to finish Charles. I'm not saying any of that, but there's a reason he's got that kind of respect. And there's a reason I believe he deserves the next title shot. Yeah. That's one of those spots, Dan. It's super weird. We get these prospects and we got to try and figure out in our heads where they really stand. You know what I mean? The same thing happened with Khabib. He had a very questionable resume all the way up until the top. And then he took out the top three or four guys all in a row and a lot of people call the man the goat, retired undefeated. Like th- sometimes you just got to be able to believe what your eyes are telling you. And that's what we've got with Islam Makachev. You know, I've still got questions. I want to see him fight some top five and top 10 guys. I can't wait. If his next fight is for the belt against Charles Oliveira, let's run it. I want to watch that fight. We'll see what happens. And you know what? If he gets the belt strapped around his waist, you know the number one guy, the number two guy, the number three guy, they're all coming right down the pipe. He's going to have to face those guys. There's no running once you get the belt strapped around your waist. Unless unless you're one of these like aged veteran type of fighters, like when Bisbing got the belt and he got his Hendo rematch. Like You're not getting an easy fight out the gate if you're a young buck, if you're the number one guy in the world. So give me that Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira title fight, and then we'll let the division test them. You know, Conor McGregor's biting on his mouthpiece to come back. Justin Gaethje's waiting in the wings. There's a lot of really talented lightweights that are coming up that are going to scrap for these guys. I have no problem with it. I've seen what I need to see. The kid's legit. I mean, I think right now what we're dealing with in the lightweight division is uh, a changing of the guard. And what I mean by that is Mm -hmm. you look at the rankings right now. um, Number two is Dustin Poirier, who's one of my all-time favorite fighters. But let's be honest, Dustin Poirier even said so himself, like, Okay, well, I just lost my second opportunity at a title. I only want fun fights now. So we're talking about, you know, fights against Nate Diaz, possibly Conor McGregor, you know, stuff like that. That's what we're looking at with Dustin. So he's got that number two spot. And while I think he wholeheartedly deserves that number two spot, he knows and we know that, you know, it's we're at the fun fight stage. So Dustin, who's one of my ultimate favorite fighters, he's going to start being ushered out of that number two spot. You look at Michael Chandler, who's number five. All due respect to Michael Chandler, I think he's going to get ushered out that spot too. You got RDA at number six, Tony Ferguson at seven, and Dan Hooker at eight, Conor McGregor at nine. You fucking kidding me? You think those guys are going to be where they're at uh, this time next year in the rankings? I highly doubt it. And that's no, again, guys, when I'm talking like this, I don't want people to think I'm disrespecting true legends and OGs like RDA, Tony Ferguson, guys that I love watching. All I'm saying is that. They're going to be ushered out the rankings this time next year by these guys like Armin Saruki and these guys like Rafael Fazeev, these guys like Mateus Gamera, these guys like Brad Riddell, and most recently, these guys like Islam Makachev. So it's pretty damn, you know, I want to say exciting, but not exciting to see our old favorite fighters wash out, but just 
exciting to see this new era of lightweights emerge. I mean, lightweights always been the glamour division in the UFC. I mean, you remember when BJ Penn was champ. You remember when Frankie Edgar was champ. I don't know if you remember when Benson Henderson was champ, but, no, oh, but yeah. <laughs> like every single fight was a split that we thought he lost. But anyways, uh, <laughs> but, but all, all I'm trying to get at is like, and then Anthony Pettis, then RDA. Like, so it just keeps consecutive Eddie Alvarez, Conor McGregor, right? And then Habib. And Habib started this thing where, man, like, I kind of wish that I caught on to it while he was on his run because I was, you know how I like to talk about no one's exempt from that first L and this and that. And mm-hmm. you do the sport long enough, you're, you're not going to retire undefeated. Look at John Jones, look at Habib. But at the time, it wasn't like except John Jones and Habib. I didn't realize it was except John Jones and Habib until they retired. But that style that a guy like Habib brings to the table, these guys like Islam Makachev, these guys like Armin Saruki, and uh, these guys like Bilal Muhammad, even Marab Davalishvili, these guys that can consistently wrestle over and over without getting tired. I am telling you right now, Clint, they are going to be an absolute problem for so many people. And if you bet on these guys, you're going to profit long term. So when I tell you this weekend um, that I got Bryce Mitchell to beat someone I fucking respect so much in Edson Barboza, I know that sounds absolutely crazy. I know it's like, oh, my God, like, how could you pick who the fuck is Bryce Mitchell ever fought? It's not even about that, guys. It's stylistically what happens when Edson gets taken down. He doesn't get back up. What does Bryce Mitchell do? He consistently wrestles. What happens if Bryce Mitchell can't get the first takedown? He doesn't get discouraged. He goes for the second one. What happens if he can't get the second, third, fourth, or fifth? He's shooting for the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. So I'm just saying that style where these guys can just shoot 10-plus takedowns, Ronnie Lawrence, uh, Nick Maximov, like, dude, if you start betting these guys every fight, you know, assuming they're not minus 500, you know, minus 900, you know, as if you're betting these guys at good lines, Long term, you're going to come out on the right side of the coin. And this is an angle I'm hitting hard in 2022, Clint. I know I got off on a tangent, but it's your turn, buddy. No, I, I love it, man. I love the the rants and the raves that we, you know, as sports bettors and MMA fans, we start foaming at the mouth. That's when that's when these conversations get fun, man. I think uh, you're absolutely onto something with that. And I think it's kind of funny how MMA has kind of gone full circle. You know, when this first thing got when it got started way back in the day, you know, UFC one, it was these big beefy wrestlers that could throw people around that were really making waves and then we got the wave of jujitsu and then the wave of muay thai and then there was the wrestle boxing and now it's come full damn circle where it's these blatant power wrestlers that are starting to control the destiny of the ufc just the the meta the constant shift of the styles in mma is something that i'm never going to get enough of man it's paper rock scissors and you're going to get these short little segments of time where one style dominates until people figure out how to beat it we were talking calf kicks a year ago and now we're trying to figure out how do you beat these wrestlers and it's going to be real interesting for the next year or so to watch everybody else who didn't come from Dagestan figure out how to defeat this smothering blanket style because so far nobody's really been able to crack that code yet so this is uh this is definitely fun and I think there's a lot to be said for those Russian grapplers and I think they're gonna rule for a long time man I really do eventually eventually it's gonna shift eventually somebody else is gonna find a style that's the new problem but right now it's absolutely that power wrestling and it's fun to watch but the thing that's beautiful is that 
now you're seeing non-Russians doing that style. And shout out to the man yep. cave for mentioning Jilton Almeida. That dude, oh my God, like his debut. And uh, we got Fila over, over here saying, Bilal, haha. Well, I'm guessing, Fila, you weren't on that plus 200 when he fought Wonderboy. So, I mean, it's the <laughs> same exact shit. You know, when I took that plus 200 on Bilal against Wonderboy, everyone's like, are you fucking stupid? And then it cashes, oh, Wonderboy's washed up. So, if Bryce Mitchell does what I think he's going to do this weekend, I don't want to hear any bullshit about Edson Barboza being washed up. You got that? Now, anyways, next up, uh, my man, we had Wellington Terman taking on Misha Serkunov. I had a bet on Wellington Terman here, not because I was ultra confident in Terman, mo more so because Misha is a guy that he's the definition of a fighter you cannot trust. Um, and I've been fading him for years. And he's also the kind of guy that, like, it's funny. In that first round when Wellington took his back and he had that choke locked in, I was already clapping. I was already ready to tweet that the bet cash. I was shocked that Misha overcame that spot. And when he did, and he got on top, and he put Wellington in that north-south choke, I was like, oh, my fucking God. Are you kidding me right now? Because that north-south choke looks so damn deep. That I'm telling you right now, if Wellington wasn't the black belt he is. I mean, he would have went to sleep or he would have been forced to tap. He created the littlest of openings to be able to breathe in that north-south choke. And then to take it a step further, you want some proof that Wellington's been maturing. Because here's the thing with Wellington. He's only 25 years old. He's just a kid. So I know he's had a rocky start to his UFC career. But when you're 25 and you're thrown in there with the Wolves, like at some point, hopefully, not always, but at some point, hopefully you're going to break through. So this dude survives the north. So this dude takes Misha Serkinov's back, almost finishes him with that choke. Right there, Misha escaping. That's got to be disheartening. That's got to be like, fuck, like, I had him, and now I got to deal with this fucking gorilla on top of me, <laughs> north-south choking me. And then and then the ground and pound, man. Like, the ground and pound, because you saw the Bruno Blandado fight where Wellington actually was knocked out with ground and pound. I thought it was a sign of maturity that he didn't get knocked out because he actually stayed composed. He didn't freak out that he lost the back. Like he was like, all right, let's just stay composed. Let's wait till the next round. Next round, he gets taken down right away. But that black belt in jujitsu came through that arm bar. I mean, if he didn't tap, he, it would have snapped. So, hey, props to Wellington. And with Misha, it's never been a skills thing, man. It's always been a mental thing, man. I mean, the dude's. He's built like a fucking, I mean, you, dude's jacked beyond belief. He's a black belt in jujitsu. He's got punching power. He's physical. Like, what else do you want? We want that heart. Like I was telling you, it's like the Tin Man, you know? He's got everything except the heart. And guys, when I talk about that, please don't think that I'm saying Daniel Levy could beat Misha Serkinov in a fight. That's not what I'm fucking saying. I'm saying at the UFC level. Uh, the bad spots is what he can't overcome. So I was happy to uh, cash on Terman there. Um, I would have gotten bigger if I trusted Terman. I just don't trust Terman because of the, the past things. But that Serkinov fade will always be there long term. Hey, man, you and I were head to head on this when we talked about it going into the fights. You said you were fading uh, Misha Serkinov. I said I was fading Wellington <laughs> Terman. It was the exact same situation on both sides. And I got to tell you, I, I was ready to live tweet at you because when he survived that first round, you said, I just, you know, Misha doesn't overcome adversity. And I was like, there, yes, he does. <laughs> he overcame. Now he's going to whip some ass. And then he nearly got that finish in the first round. I could not believe 
that Terman survived that choke. And then when Misha started pounding on him, I was like the swelling under his eye. Like maybe we get a corner stoppage. Like maybe he just takes one bad shot coming out the gates in round two. I thought I was home free, Dan. I cannot believe the arm bar from guard struck and stole that bet from me. I'm so upset. I don't even know if it was a heart issue for Misha this time. I think all the pieces of the puzzle were there. I think he got lazy. I think he he took one second. He was on top. He was in good position. He took us a, a chance to take a deep breath and relax. And all credit to Wellington Terman, man. This is a spot where I've hated on this kid. I've talked some serious trash about him. I didn't think he was ready. I thought he was going to get KO'd here and go down. Uh, he actually pulled off one of the most gorgeous armbar transitions I have ever seen. The hips on that kid are something else. And there's no time when someone gets your arm that deep. I know a lot of these people listening to the show right now have not personally experienced what it's like to be that deep in an armbar. Dan, my left elbow still clicks because <laughs> there was an armbar I didn't tap from one time. Like to this day, when I straighten this arm out, it'll pop on me because of one time where I just uh, decided I wanted to fight through it instead of tapping like I should have in training. That is no joke. Your arm will get snapped right in half. And even a black belt of Misha's level, if an arm bar is that deep, you're dead. There's no getting away from it. So again, all credit to Wellington Terman. I was this close to having a legendary night. Misha pulling off the TKO uh, would have sealed the deal there for me. So unfortunate for me, but I'm happy for you. Uh, it was a good read. It was one of those fights that really at multiple different points could have gone either way. Wellington could have got that choke in the first round. Misha could have got the TKO. It could have been a grind fest after that. You got the arm, but like, who knows? That was a, It was a fun fight, man. I'll, I'll give it that. It was a really fun fight. It was, and, and we'll see what happens with Wellington. Again, only 25. Give him a chance to develop with Misha. Just depends what his contract situation is. If, if that's his last fight on the contract, I doubt they re-sign him. If he's got another one or two, they probably let him finish out his contract. I mean, he's always showing up. Like, win, lose, or draw. Like, rarely any of his fights go to decision. So, like, you know, his fights are exciting for what it's worth. So, I'd say keep him if, if, if he's still got fights left on his contract. Now, as far as Cachoeira and Kim, I'll be 100% honest with you, man. Like, because I know that that's like the one that's got all the heat. <laughs> but like my whole thing was like Armin Sarukin was like my biggest bet of the night. And after I cashed that, I was just kind of chilling, watching Cachoeira and Kim, not really like stress free, not really scoring. And I just saw an exciting fight between two fun fighters going toe to toe for three straight rounds. Um, so I wasn't really scoring it. Like I was half paying attention. I was just entertained by it. Um, I thought it was a great fight. I wish I could give you all a better opinion um, on how I scored it, but I was just so happy about Armin that I didn't, I didn't even like really care to judge it. Um, everybody do us a favor. Smash that like button for us. And if you're not subscribed to this channel, I'd sincerely appreciate it. If you do subscribe, thank you very much. Um, do you have a strong opinion on Katrina and Kim or, or can we move on to Sarukian and Alvarez? You know what? Not a strong opinion, Dan, but what people need to realize, I've been banging this drum for a long time now, and people just, I don't think they're ever going to get it, if I'm being honest. You guys got to pump the brakes on these robbery calls, because there are a lot of these things we call close fights, and you have a panel 
of three judges, three people who more often than not don't know exactly what they're looking at. We've talked about it time and time again, how these judges make mistakes, they mess up, blah, yada, yada, yada. That's part of the game, folks. Like, we can't keep getting upset at it. Yes, we want to work on it. We want to get it fixed. We need a solution. It's kind of out of our hands. You got to understand there's three people kidding, uh, sitting cage side scoring this fight. And when you watch that fight, it's not the stats. It's not the numbers. It's how did that fight look round by round? That's how it gets scored. That was a close competitive fight. Round one could have gone either way. Round two was Kim. Round three was Kim until about halfway through. And then Casuera beat her face off. People need to credit my girl Zombie for not laying down, for taking Destiny into her own hands and giving herself a chance in that fight. Now, you may not agree with the scorecard, but the fact is it was a back and forth fight. It could have been 29-28. Either way, she got the nod, man. She worked her ass off. She busted her opponent up. She went for broke, and she got rewarded for it. So, I, you know, it's one of those spots you always say, I'm not paid to judge fights. I just bet on them. And that's how I feel in these kind of spots. Straight and, up, straight uh, up, straight up. Hey, let me cut you off. Sorry. Yeah. Anytime you cash a bet, like, I don't ever see you talking about how, like, oh, my God, if you pick Kim, you're an idiot. No, you're just saying, oh, cash plus two units plus whatever on Cachoeira dog money. All right, cool. Let's move on. And people are like, oh, Clint, you're such an idiot. How did you bet? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not a judge. I'm just the guy that bet on Priscilla Cachoeira at dog odds and cash. Like, if you have an issue with the scoring, take that up with the athletic commission because exactly. Clint wasn't the judge in that. And another thing I want to say, like, again, guys, I don't have a strong opinion on the score itself just because I, was, I wasn't really paying attention to that fight. I was more, you know, happy about Armin cashing my biggest bet of the night. But, like, if you know that a fight is going to be this nail-biter, tooth-and-nail, close-ass fight, and you know the state of MMA judging, why lay the slight chalk in spots like that? Exactly. That's all I'm going to say on that topic. Yep. Now, uh, Armin Saruki and Joel Alvarez. So this is my biggest bet of the night, and, and it's, it's just back to what we've been talking about, man. Like, again, the calf kicks, this and that. But for me now, like, dude, I am making it my campaign in 2022. I am going, like, if I get a decent line on these guys that can just wrestle, 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 and, and again, I'm not talking about like Cody Brundage who's got one takedown in him and then, you know, is ready to go home or any. I'm not talking about that kind of shit. I'm talking about these guys that can attempt 13-plus takedowns, not get tired because, like, the opponent's going to stuff the first few, and when the when the guy, when the wrestler is not discouraged by that, when the wrestler is not tired at all, when the wrestler is like, oh, you stuffed that, but are you going to stuff this? That kind of shit breaks people. And you know as a fellow grappler, because I know firsthand, man, like, you know, I, um, again, and, and it sounds weird for non-fighters to talk in these terms, but, like, you know, in grappling, I, I do kind of think that, like, I've got decent takedown defense, but I got decent takedown defense for the first few. <laughs> you attempt that fifth and sixth and seventh um, takedown on me, that's where I'm going to be like, whoo, whoo, you know what I'm saying, Clint? So, that's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to get at here, man. Um, so, Armin Saruki and like all I had to watch. And again, I'm not trying to be Mister After the Fact. I'm just trying to exactly like tell you like what I thought. Like, and I had all the respect for Joel Alvarez, man. I mean, this dude, he, he, 
let's I cannot wait to see him get Alex Hernandez and bounce back. And I hope they give us a good line on a fight like that because I will I will smash uh, Joel Alvarez at the betting window if he fights Alex Hernandez for his bounce back. Hey, both got finished in the second round, their last fights. Let's match him up. Let's get Joel Alvarez back on track or Joel Alvarez back on track against Alex Hernandez. Easy money. I'm telling you all right now. But back to Sarukian. All I had to really do, and again, I'm not trying to call anyone on Alvarez ignorant. I'm not trying to play that card at all. But all I'm trying to say is from my point of view, when I watched, when I rewatched that Islam Makachev versus Armin Sarukian fight, that was literally all I needed to see to like be confident that he was going to beat Joel Alvarez and just like almost like anybody and almost everybody in the top 20. Like I was really like, dude, oh my God, like this kid on short notice is out here going like, like grappling like exchange for exchange getting back up from bottom against islam makachev even taking him down once i was like dude like this is this guy's a problem then you watch his subsequent fights um and the thing with joel you know and and i know i got my funny lines when i say shit like (laughs) uh no guy with zero percent takedown defense is beating armin sarukian in a fight like but it's true like i know it's true (laughs) i know it's i know like we like to be funny. We like we like to be sarcastic and this and that. But but there's some truth to that kind of stuff. And again, back to when I was talking about Bryce and Barboza. If Bryce does what I think uh, he's going to do to Barboza, I don't want anybody talking about how Barboza's washed up. And with this fight, I don't want people talking about, oh, Joel Alvarez sucks. Joel Alvarez is overrated. No, he is not. Joel Alvarez is a fucking killer. Joel Alvarez is going to have a long UFC career. Joel Alvarez is going to finish plenty of people. Hopefully, Alexander Hernandez next. But he just ran into a future top five guy, in my opinion, in Armin Sarukian. And back to what we were talking about with the, with the division right now. Dude, the number five guy on planet Earth is Michael Chandler. The number six guy is RDA. The number seven guy is Tony Ferguson. The number eight guy is Dan Hooker. The number nine guy is Conor McGregor. You fucking mean to tell me that number 12 Armin Sarukian is not about to just surpass these guys like within the next year? Because that's exactly what's going to happen. And he, he didn't just beat Joel Alvarez, man. Like, because Joel Alvarez, he's got that Spaniard heart. Like, this guy ain't willing to quit for nobody. And the fact that he had that big-ass cut, and he could have easily told his corner, hey, no mas, I can't see. And none of us would have held it against him. But the fact that this dude goes back in there and just tries, like, hey, you never know what's going to happen. Like, dude, Joel, mucho respeto, hermano. You know what I'm saying? Like, much respect, brother. Like, that's like some real shit right there, man. So... Much respect, but like this Armin guy, oh my God, is he a problem? And again, like I told y'all, you put him in there with number seven, uh, Tony Ferguson. You put him in there with number eight, Dan Hooker. You put him in there with number six, Rafael Dos Anjos. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a massacre. So look out for Armin Saruki, and he will be in the top five this time next year. I couldn't agree more, man. I think, uh, you know, Armin Saryukin's uh, very first fight in the UFC, it was Islam Makachev. And that was a hell of a fight. That was a back and forth, abs- I was going to say brawl, but I mean, it was more of a wrestling match, but you can tell that both of them are improving leaps and bounds. I want that rematch. I can't wait to see those guys face each other again. I completely agree with you that the change of the guard is coming. We see that, you know, every, I don't know, six years or so in, in MMA, 
where eventually the old guard just can't quite keep up with the young kids. It's the hurt business. It's all about the young guys. And that time is upon us once again, man. I think the future of 155 and especially the lower weight classes, 45, 35, it is super exciting what's coming down the pipe with what we're seeing these young up and comers. And Armin Saryukin's one of these guys leading the charge. I I questioned him. You know, I had a bet on Yoel Alvarez, but that was more of a uh, buying in on Yoel Alvarez. I've kind of been on the Yoel Alvarez train since the get-go. It was a spot where I kind of felt like maybe I was making a little bit of a bad bet. I was drinking the Kool-Aid, eating that recency bias on the win that he had against Moises. But man, I, (laughs) I, I wasn't comfortable about it. It wasn't one of those dog picks where I came in and I was like, guys, I don't care what the line is. He's winning. Like It wasn't like that. I was like, I like... I like plus 220. I'm going to ride with my boy since I've rode with him this far. Anybody that laid that chalk on Taryukian, that was a amazing bet from like a gambler's perspective. That was absolutely the side. And to have the, the foresight to have that buy low spot where everybody piled on the dog and drove that number down for you, I got nothing nothing but props for you guys taking that side of the play, man, because that was absolutely the spot. And to your credit, I mean, you're still up on Alvarez fights. I mean, he's been the dog every fucking UFC fight, I'm pretty sure. So it's, I mean, oh, wow, you lost one of them, but you won the other two or three. Like, oh, yep. man, like you're still up. So, like, next fight, hopefully they line him nicely. Give me fucking minus 175 against Alex Hernandez, even though I don't think it'll be like that. It'll actually be closer. But give, give me that. I'll fucking play, Alvar- I'll play Alvarez at chalk in that fight. You understand yeah, me? I agree. All right. So, uh just quickly on a few of these Armin Petrosi and Gregory Rodriguez because we got a lot to cover I thought it was a fucking great fight personally live I did think Rodriguez edged it but I mean a lot of people were telling me like dude what the fuck are you talking about and again back to the Armin and Rodriguez fight similar to Cachoeira and Kim I had just cashed a big bet on Ignacio so I was just like you know relishing in that just sitting back and watching a fun brawl between Rodriguez and Petrosian. And look, even though I live, I kind of thought uh, Rodriguez, you know, kind of bullied him a little bit. Like, Rodriguez, dude, you're like this black belt. Like, this kid is a blue belt or something. Like, why why aren't we out here? And he did have that knee bar. Props to Petrosian for, you know, toughing it out. But, like, we could have made this a lot easier. Like, I get it. Like, your stand-up's gotten a lot better. You knocked out a couple people recently. Like, you're feeling yourself these days. Hey, Let's show that I can go out there against the former kickboxer and uh, knock him out. And he had a lot of success. But I guess what ultimately cost him was not going back to the path of least resistance, um, the jujitsu. Even though, again, at the time, I did think Rodriguez won. And maybe upon a rewatch, I might think differently. Who knows? Next time they get, re- next time these guys get booked again, I'll go back and see if I have a different opinion. But I guess it would have behooved him to use his, uh, you know, his wrestling to his jujitsu. But. It's, it's something he'll learn from, and I don't take anything away from either guy. It was a great fucking fight, and I can't wait to see both of them back in there. Yeah, that was an absolute brawl, man. And that's another one where uh, people can't seem to have their cake and eat it too, Dan. This is, you know, kind of almost the opposite of what happened with the zombie girl fight. Uh, not to the same degree, obviously, because the significant strikes landed in the uh, the women's fight was substantially larger than this one. But it's that old battle between who lands more and who lands harder. And personally, when it comes to the scoring, I absolutely hate it, Dan. I absolutely hate it when someone lands one big 
shot. Their opponent wins 99.9% of the round. They land one punch, and everyone's like, oh, they stole the round. That's it. They got it. They won the round. I don't agree with that at all all but that's my personal view and i am not a ufc judge so there's a lot of people that thought especially deep in that third round that head kick that busted his nose up they thought that won the fight for rodriguez and i can i can see the argument he did damage it was a big shot but about 80 85 of the rest of that round was armin coming back on rodriguez and having the extended minutes of success, outworking him, outstriking him. Even after getting hurt, he fought his way back into that round and did some damage for about two minutes after it happened. So I think the judges got it right. But Dan, I had a bet on Armin, and this is one that I was sweating buckets. <laughs> I had no idea if I was going to get it or not. There was a chance I could get it. I would have been disappointed but you're damn sure I would not have complained if Gregory Rodriguez had gotten his arm raised on that fight because that was another one that, in my opinion, no robbery, close fight, either guy could have got it. And that's another thing, guys. Like, listen, win, lose, or draw, like, if you get robbed, like, I understand the frustration. I've been there. Like, guys, I've been doing this so long. Like, look at my track record. But, like, you never see me crying robbery. You never see me being a bitch you never like dude like whatever take my wins and like when i lost the razak bet at plus 150 against buckley you know personally i kind of thought that razak edged it but all I, my, my tweet is minus one unit razak props to buckley that basically means let's move the fuck on I'm not about to write 10 paragraphs about how razak got robbed like whatever it's in the past now like this is a long-term game like so to me like just be classy win loser draw and move on um but to your point really quickly i think there's like varying degrees of how you can steal around right like in this specific fight with rodriguez and petrosian i agree with you in that one but then you look at a fight like martinez and perez and like okay yeah martinez won that fight 100 that's not the debate here the debate here is round one because martinez controlled all of round one but alejandro he didn't just land a big punch he landed a knockdown and it's like knock downs should count for lies look i'm not saying he got a last minute takedown that I, i'd be like okay yeah big deal but a knockdown like that that's where i think you can make the arguments for you know a 10 10 round in, in the sense that martinez won four minutes and 50 seconds of that round but alejandro dropped him on his ass and almost knocked him out that's where i think it could shift to 10 10 um whereas if if Martinez was doing exactly what he did and Martinez got the knockdown, well, look, he would have got a 10-9 no matter what, but you get that knockdown. That's where I think you might actually swing to a 10-8 for uh, Martinez. So it's like a game of inches. So like, where, where do you stand on that? Because it is different than the Petrosian-Rodriguez fight, you know, with the little head kick. Not the little head kick, but you know what I'm saying. He didn't <laughs> fall on his ass of the head kick, whereas Alejandro, like, legit knocked him down. You know, and that's where I guess our opinions differ just ever so slightly. I thought that I thought that Martinez was on one foot and was a little off balance. I know it was a big shot, but I think it looked a little worse than it actually was. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it to, you know, double check and make sure I'm speaking correctly. But when it happened, I thought there was a little bit more of a slip element than just the straight pure knockdown. And I, I think you're completely right when you say it's a game of inches, Dan, because the real difference 
between the Rodriguez kick and the Perez punch was, I think, the amount of time that passed after it happened. Because the last thing those judges remember, the last thing any of us remember, is Jonathan Martinez's ass on the floor. And the announcers are going, oh, if he had five more seconds, it's over. And that's what we're all thinking. But if you have that knockdown with a minute and 30 seconds left on the clock, Martinez has got time to work his jab again. Martinez has some time to kick that leg to show that he's still the dominant force in that round. So I think really a lot of it comes down to luck because if that punch had happened a minute, a minute and a half earlier, there's no question Martinez still wins that round with that 90% control. But because it was the very last thing that we saw and we thought it was a fight-ending shot, yeah, people probably credit that with winning the round even though it was just the one punch. It's a... it's an interesting game, man. There's no right answer, and I think that's kind of the problem with MMA scoring in general is there's no set-in-stone way that we can really debate what should matter more, what should be counted less. I don't freaking know, man. It, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Personally, I right. thought Martinez controlled that round plenty enough, and that one punch shouldn't steal the full round from him, but that depends on the severity of the punch. If his eyes rolled happens. back and he was going to go out unconscious – then yeah, probably give him the round. If it was more of a slip, then no, definitely not. But we don't know that. It's it's in the moment. And it just happens that the beholders happen to be blind senior citizens that have no idea <laughs> what the fuck they're watching. So that's. But anyways, the man cave asked me, Dan, do you place your plays before the fights? Yeah, of course, man. Um, on half the battle, which is the show you're listening to right now, hit that subscribe button on Twitter, and then uh, most importantly, the track record's been there. Like I think now, like. This might be like my seventh or eighth year. So you can literally see the history of all my bets um, that's been going on for a long ass time. The ups, the downs, and I'm still fucking here, man. You see these guys, they go on one hot streak. Um, and then as soon as shit goes south, they come back with a new name. They delete their records. They do all these things. Like, whereas me, like, I actually had, I finally had my first losing year last year, and it was a terrible year. But here I am back again. Like, like I want, like people like to throw out the term long-term game, but I truly believe it. And I truly mean it. And I, and when I tell you that I'm still going to be here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line, like I mean, I mean that cause like I'm a gambler. Like this is what, this is what we do. Clint, like this isn't like, you know, and, and I did try touting for a little bit and I hated every fucking second of it. Clint, like when, like, listen to this. Okay. Obviously losing sucks no matter what, but like winning, while I was touting was not fun. You know why? Because it just felt like a relief. It just felt like it like took out all the, like the human element of the fights. It was just like, all right, just, let's just get this over with. Just please. You win. survived. Like, just, like, oh, and then they'd win and be like, Oh my God, what a relief. Thank God. Whereas like now, like the losses don't hurt as much and the wins feel so much better. So like, but that's something I had to experience on my own. I had to figure that out for myself because had I never tried that out, I'd still be wondering like, Hey, what if, you know? So I'm so glad I went through that. It's a different kind of pressure. You go to bed stress, you wake up stress because you care so much about delivering for other people. And then it just takes away from your process. You start playing it safe. You get away from what got you to the dance. So I'm so glad I figured that out. And I, I'm just glad that's behind me, man. And I feel so much fucking better. I'm betting so much better and I'm back to being me. So anybody that's counting me out, uh, you're making a big fucking mistake because this is a long-term game and I am not one of those guys that, oh, I had a bad run. Now I'm going to delete my record, come back as someone new. like I, that ain't me, dude. I'm in this for the long haul. But again, answer your question. 
my bets are placed on half the battle. You can find them on Twitter at Best Fight Picks and um, on Bet MMA Tips. So yeah, man. All right. So a couple more notes. Uh, Ignacio Baamondes also had a bet on him, and like, dude, Baamondes, man. Like, I fucking love this kid, man. I know that the debut didn't go his way, but you know. He made a couple young mistakes. He missed weight for that fight. Um, I think he was a little bit cocky after his contender series knockout, but you still saw the talent. And I mean, when I hear the the stories about this kid in the gym, like I hear that he's in there with top five UFC welterweights, like looking like a world-class striker. And these last two fights, you've seen it, man. Um, I am so excited to see what he does. And also, let's not discredit his opponent Zurong. like okay yeah did he act unprofessional missing weight by six pounds uh, five pounds whatever yes he fucked up but he's also 21 like let's give him a chance to figure shit out because actually like i think that kid is is capable of putting on some dynamic performances um he's just got to get his shit together he's 21 dude what the fuck were you doing when you were 21 dude i was a dumbass when i was 21 you know not saying i'm much better now but i'm just saying like when i was 21 like you know so yeah you know, and, and I was joking around on Twitter, like, okay, it's one thing to dye your hair pink, but it's another thing to dye your hair pink and miss weight by five pounds. I like it's, it's either one or the other big guy, you know. So um <laughs> I think we'll get good odds on Zurong against a lesser opponent, you know, his next time out. But Ignacio, I, I do see a, a year or two from now, top fifteen potential. Just has to, you know, keep fighting, keep developing, get a little more experience. And I think we'll see him up there, man. He's got some stuff. I, again, man, I, I hate to keep saying it, but I agree with you. I love Ignacio Bahamondes, and I was this close, Dan. I was this close to putting a bet on him on Saturday, but I had an absolute hammer on Jonathan Martinez, and then I had a bunch of other bets sprinkled around the card that I was like, you know what? I'm a little overexposed. I, I think I'm going to keep it a bit snug. I think he wins, uh, but it's another spot that I was considering parlaying or even throwing down another hammer and, and ended up staying off it. Felt pretty bad you know, watching him dominate after almost locking the bet in. And the worst part, Dan, worst part is right before the fights kicked off it's saturday morning i'm drinking my caffeine i'm sitting on the couch <laughs> going you know what's a couple fun little prop bets that we can throw a couple degenerate darts at here to make some money and i went you know zoo wrong he's been submitted like five times man i wonder i wonder what the line looks like bahamondes by sub and i was like oh shit it's like 12 13 to 1 that would be a fun little dart to throw i went you know what though this guy's never won by submission in his professional career. He's a knockout guy. He goes for the finish. He likes to use his hands. I'm like, let me just let me just peep the IG. You know, if, if he's got a gi on in a recent picture, that's all it's going to take. Like, just show me what belt level he is. There's nothing. There's a bunch of video clips of him throwing flying knees and shit. And I was like, ah, man, he's not going for a sub. Ugh. He taps him out in the third round. So a uh, missed opportunity, unfortunately, Dan. It was a fun fight. I think Zhurong has a hell of a career in front of him. I think he's a very skilled, very talented kid. It's going to take him some time. He's 21 years old. Like, these are the types. He was thrown in against absolute junkyard dogs at 21 years old. He's got such a bright future ahead of him. I can't wait to see what he looks like in two, three years. But Bahamondes, like you mentioned, he's coming around a hell of a lot sooner. He's that next wave, that next generation. He'll be challenging for, you know, a contender spot here in a year or two. And it's going to be fun. The kid's got a fun style to watch. He's explosive, athletic, got a good chin. I, I can't wait to see what he does coming up here because Bahamondes, I think, is going to be a problem. 
He is. And let me say something. And when I say these next words, people are going to be like, oh, what are you talking about? But let me complete my sentences and my thoughts before you judge what I'm about to say. Okay. Because this sentence I'm about to say is very controversial. But once I explain myself, hopefully you'll, you'll get where I'm coming from. Um, Ignacio Bahamondes is my new James Vick. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. James Vick gets knocked out every fight. Okay. Let, let me explain what I mean. What uh, what was James Vick's record? His first ten UFC fights, nine and one. Okay, James Vick was a fucking money machine when he came out here, nine and one to start off his UFC run. That means that he had a ninety percent hit rate. You could bet this guy every single fight. The reason I bring him up is because six foot three, just like Bahamondes, and he fights really well for his style, uh, for his body type. Also gets hit a lot, but right now his chin is still intact. Um, but I'm telling you, this early run, this kid, he's going to go. And I was actually talking to Vic. Vic's my boy. I fucking love that guy. But I, so I messaged Vic. I said, you see that that finish? Exact choke you hit on Jake Matthews. Vic's like, dude, this kid is good. I said, he's my Latin James Vic. About to go 9-1 and one in the UFC to start things <laughs> off. And uh, Vic was like, he's very, he's very well. And he's very well-rounded and does everything that works for his body type. And that's like the important thing to mention here. So until that durability goes away, I'm all in on this Bahamondes kid. He is going to be money. I'm telling you, he is my young James Vick, my young Latino James Vick. Um, and again, guys, I'm not talking about James Vick at the end of his career. I'm talking about when he went nine and one and you could literally bet on him every fight and have a 90% hit rate. So pay attention to that. A couple more fights on this. Josiane Nunes, hey, she did her thing. Uh, we had Terrence McKinney. I was wrong about that. Man, I mean, I was wrong in the sense that I picked Zion, but I wasn't wrong in the sense that I said if Terrence wins, it will be a first-round finish. And shout-out to my brother, Clint, who not only did he pick Terrence McKinney, not only did he pick Terrence McKinney by first-round finish, this guy goes out there and bets Terrence McKinney by first-round sub, and Terrence McKinney even subtweeted him took note like that was pretty fucking cool man to see um shout out to ramiz brahimai doing exactly what he had to do treating michael gilmore accordingly and then i thought carlos hernandez and victor altamirano had one hell of a fight so if you have any closing uh comments on those let me know if not we'll move on to jamal hill yeah man just uh nobody tell terrence mckinney I actually picked for Aziam as well, Dan. All week I was like, ugh, like I think I slightly edged for Raz. And like I was talking about my Saturday morning caffeine, I was looking through the props and I went nine to one on a sub. That's stupid. So I went ahead and threw a dart at it, man. It was one of those spots where I thought he had a ground advantage. He's got that good sub upside and his opponent gets choked out a lot. Like it, it just all made sense. And nine to one was too wide of a number. So took the shot. Um, can't sit here and say that I called Terrence McKinney the whole way, because I'll be honest, I didn't. Uh, it was a good number play. I felt like for a, a, something that had a high probability of finishing that way, if he was going to get the win. So got a little bit lucky there. Uh, thank you very much for the shout out, but it's always freaking cool, man. I love, I love showing the fighters support. So when someone cashes a big ticket like that and everybody's making money, having a good time, most of the fighters respond pretty cool to that. So it was awesome for Terrence to go ahead and hit me with the retweet for that. Uh, I, I love celebrating positively with the fighters when stuff like that happens. It's a good time. Yeah, and I, I still want to see what happens uh, when Terrence McKinney gets extended, but I will never take away from that beautiful victory. Great job. Uh, you fucking did it, buddy. So good job. Now, Jamal Hill, man. I mean, oh, my God. Um, 
And, and hold on a sec. Uh, my dude's saying, I blame Dan and Shaq for making me switch. Hey, dude, you got to think for yourself. And if you're going to blame me for making you switch off that, at least thank me for Sarukian and Bahamandes and, and Terman. But even, even all that, like, dude, just take, think for yourself. Like, listen to us for entertainment. Listen to us for the information because we do give good information on the show. But we're not always going to be right. Um, so at the end of the day, you got to make your own decisions. But Jamal fucking Hill, man. I mean, how many times do I got to talk about him? And it seems like every time I talk about him, it's with you. I mean, like, dude, like, what is there to say? Because, look, it, here's the thing about this. I picked him via first-round knockout, right? Like, so to me, yeah, okay, he got the first-round knockout. Like, why should I act shocked? But even in my wildest dreams, did I not think the knockout was going to be that emphatic, uh, Clint? Like, it was like, a, oh, my God. And, again, like, guys, <laughs> don't, don't be that fucking asshole that's sliding in uh, Johnny Walker's DMs, trolling him and his wife's DM. Like, guys, like, please – like cut that shit out. Like we can celebrate Jamal's win. We're all happy. And yeah, it was an emphatic KO. We can share the highlight, but that's the extent of it. We, we like be classy. Don't fucking go into Johnny Walker's DMS. I mean, this is still a real human being, man. And he, had, he had the balls to get into a fight with Jamal Hill. I don't got the balls to get into a fight with Jamal Hill. I assume no one in this chat has the balls to get into a fight with Jamal Hill. So, like, and by if the way, you do it'll end up on YouTube. <laughs> you, do, you might, you'll end up worse than. Uh, anyways, uh, I was gonna say that. Yeah, but anyways, um, one thing I want to say real quick on a side note, y'all gotta check out Bisbing's podcast. Uh, shout out to Bisbing, uh, because he had Jamal Hill on, and he got Jamal Hill to talk about a famous street fight story he had, and Jamal Hill was talking about like he was out here like head kicking dudes on the streets and shit, like like they were attacking his boys, and like he was like out here head kicking guy, like it was it's pretty fucking funny. This is like way before his career. I'm not talking about the like top ten jamal hill i'm talking about jamal hill like back in the day uh you, you guys got to check that out but um dude that knockout oh my fucking god and i mean like i said at the beginning of the year like i've been saying since day one this kid is a future top five guy i mean again we know he's got the one hitter quitter look what he did to jimmy crew look what he did to uh johnny walker but Look at the volume. Look at the punches and bunches he put up against OSP. Look at the fucking over 100 significant strikes landed against Darko. Look at the get-up game. Gets taken down six times. Gets back up six times. Look at the heart he showed against Paul Craig. Do you guys remember Anthony Rumble Johnson? Amazing knockout artist. What would happen anytime you would even slightly put uh, Rumble Johnson in, in any kind of compromising situation? You know, he'd be tapping that mat uh, really quickly. Jamal Hill was like, here, break my arm. I still want to win the fight. And then and then he takes all the accountability in the world, all the responsibility. He even is still thanking Paul Craig for the lesson on, on his Instagram. Like He's not saying shit like, oh, I'd beat him in a rematch. Or, oh, I want to fight him. He's showing Paul Craig respect. Like He truly feels like that was like a fight that elevated him to that next level. Um, and those are just like that. That's just the mindset of, of a future world champion, or at least a future title challenger. And Jamal said he wants Volkan Uzdemir. He feels like Volkan Uzdemir spoke out of turn, disrespected him because the UFC put out this tweet, like um, something. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but something amongst the lines are like, um, are you are you still sleeping on Jamal Hill? Or are you a believer yet? And I think uh, Uzdemir said, I ain't sold or some shit like trying to kind yep. of steal the shine, kind of try to clout chase. And Jamal, Jamal took that personally. Cause it's like, dude, like, let me have my fucking moment. Like, please. Like, you know, 
And uh, I think Jamal wants to usher. The, we were talking about ushering those 55ers out. Well, now it's time to usher some of these 205ers out because right now, when you look at the rankings, you got Dominic Reyes at number seven. And I'm sorry to tell y'all, Dominic Reyes ain't going, ain't going, uh, you know, up to six, five, four, three. Dominic Reyes was already number one. So it's like when Dana used to talk about John Fitch, like when they cut him, remember the, the uproar when they cut John Fitch? Like Dana was like, it's not like he went from, 10 to 5 to 1 and we cut him. He went from 1 to 5 to 10 to 15 to out the rankings and we cut him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominic Reyes, now he's at 7. Uh, he's going to be ushered out. Volkan Uzdemir, as soon as Jamal Hill takes care of him, he'll be ushered out. Ryan Spann ain't going to be in the rankings too much longer. So, again, all these weight classes, is, it's amazing seeing the emerging talent and the level that they're on, man. To see a guy in Jamal Hill who's only 11 and 1, but you see what he brings to the table, skills wise, size wise, and mentality wise. Like, dude, um, just give me good odds against Vulcan so I can continue betting Jamal Hill every single fight. You're, man, if they give us good odds, we're going to make the biggest bet of our lives on Jamal <laughs> Hill because we have seen what Vulcan Uzdemir does when his opponent has hand speed. We know what that story ends like. So if they give us a good number on that fight, hell yeah, it's Jamal Hill season all day. I am enrolled in Touch Em Up University, Dan. I love Jamal Hill. Uh, you know, my guy, Manpreet, MMA Lock of the Night. We've got a head-to-head competition going on where we're using Prediction Strike. We call it Fighter Stonks. I have already purchased my stock in Jamal Hill, and I'm waiting for that number to just crank up and win me that contest contest i love that guy i love everything about him you know i can't really add anything else to what you said about him dan i love his attitude the mentality i think might be the biggest advantage he has and i know he's got a million skills that are better and perfectly suited for the division the speed is a problem at this weight class but it's that mindset it's that ability for him to take his first L of his career and not come back like Conor McGregor saying he's going to piss in somebody's Wheaties and you know <laughs> apologizing to nobody and yeah all the crazy things people like that do. No, he thanked the man and he learned his lesson and he's better for it. Like that's the kind of guy that I don't care if he loses again, Dan. If he jumps up and he gets a number one contender spot and he gets the L, he's not a busted prospect. Give him another six months. He'll be right back, and he'll be climbing his way up to the top again. Jamal Hill's got one of the brightest futures in MMA, man, and he's such a cool dude. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. Can't wait to see it and can't wait to make a ton of money backing him on his way up. I only got three words for you, or four, actually. Jiri, Rockich, and Khalif, and Hill. That's all I got to say. That is the future of the 205-pound division. Dan, I put out a tweet after that fight, and I emphatically, emphatically believe that when Jamal Hill fights Ankaliv, he will knock the man out cold. And I have no problem repeating that. Anytime anybody wants to ask me about it, that tweet blew up. I got a bunch of hate for it. Everyone telling me to pump the brakes. I will not pump the brakes. Jamal Hill is knocking out Magaband Ankaliv when they fight. I promise you. One more time for the people in the back. Jamal Hill is knocking out Magomed and Khalif when they fight. I give you my word. <laughs> Man, um, I mean, it's a collision course. It truly is. Like, I really think it's it's Jiri, Rakic, and Khalif, and Hill. 
those are the guys that are going to take that division to the next level. And it's just such a shame that John Jones isn't there anymore because John Jones was always the, the physical freak, you know, and not, that's not discrediting his amazing skills. The guy's a phenomenal fighter, but I'm just saying every single fight, he'd have like a fucking 10 inch reach advantage and all this shit. These guys coming up now can match him on the size and the athleticism. And that's what I love about it. So, Oh, I'm just so frustrated that we didn't get to see John Jones against this new era um, of 205ers. We all wanted to see someone dethrone him, man. That was the big thing is we we didn't want him to run off to heavyweight or retire without somebody beating him. There was a couple of guys back to back that came close. The time was coming. We wanted to see that belt wrapped around somebody else's waist. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit bummed that we got robbed of that opportunity because Jamal Hill is one of those guys on the short list that could have been the one to do it. Granted, it's been quite some time. Someone might have already got there by the time Hill does, but uh, it, it's really, man, it, it is unfortunate because I thought that we we were definitely live to get that one done with Jamal Hill. <laughs> and, and the other one I want to shout out from that card was David Onama, man. I felt like I was like on an island on him, man. Like everybody was on Benitez, and I'm like think, and I, I'm not trying to be Mr. After the fact because everything I'm saying now, I said before the fact. Like, people were talking about the experience. I was like, dude, when I bet Sodik Yusuf against Gabriel, he was 9-1 and one at the time. When I bet Omar Morales against uh, Gabriel, he was 9-0. and oh. So I've cashed on inexperienced guys against Gabriel. And I've bet on Gabriel at plus 150 against Sam Cecilia. Um, Max bet against Humberto Bandinai. So it's not like I'm some Gabriel hater. Like, I, I respect him too. But David Onama, man, like, again... Um, like I talk about it, you don't bet against Russians and you don't bet against Africans unless uh, we're talking about Hill versus Ankalev. We'll get to that. But um, like uh, Onama went out there, like you can just not ignore the four day short notice performance he put up up a weight class against a fucking seriously durable fighter and Mason Jones, and then to turn it around in his regular weight class against you know a guy who's been around the UFC since 2014, and to you know he ate all his hardest kicks. This guy's the hardest kicker at AKA. Ate all his kicks, ate his punches, and when it was Onama's turn to return the favor, uh, bodies hit the floor. So featherweight division is on notice. Look out because, again, we talk about these kids that have had 10 pro fights or less. You're going to be seeing these big leaps every single time. So don't. So when people were talking about, oh, but on the regional scene, he fought so and it's like, guys, that shit does not even matter because you're looking at like a 10 times lesser version. If you're talking about the regional scene, the guy now every single fight incremental improvements. And I cannot wait to see the next Onama fight because the next version now that he got that win under his belt, now that he feels like he belongs here. And as he starts to really, truly feel like the octagon is his home. You're going to be seeing some scary, vicious knockouts and some epic three-round wars with David Onama, and, I, and I'm all here for it, my man. I couldn't agree more, Dan. That kid is scary. You know, James Krause has got a young crop of fighters right now, which it was something I actually talked about on my show, man. I think that James Krause is one of the best coaches in MMA, but let's be honest. He's had a ragtag group of misfits. It's the Isle of Misfit Toys over at Glory MMA. Not anymore, though. People have taken notice. People are understanding. And now you've got a couple of young kids like Onama and Hefe and Brandon freaking Moreno that have ran out to train with James Krause. 
at Glory MMA. That gym has got a bright future. These kids are going to get good rounds with some high-level opponents and some good, solid training partners now. I think David Onama is going to be a huge problem moving forward. And, and I think another couple of guys like Jeff, I think Jeff Molina is another kid that's got a super bright future in the division. But damn, dude, that that raw power and ability from David Onama, that never quit, never say die attitude. That's something that's going to take him further than a lot of other professional athletes because the punch he took from Mowgli Benitez in that fight, a lot of lesser men would have absolutely crumpled in that spot. He was hurt and he was hurt badly from that punch. It would have just taken one or two follow-ups. A lot of people would have tapped out, called it quits, come back another day. He said, no, nah, I'm winning this damn fight. Came back, turned it on, and got the knockout win himself. Didn't even drag it deep or anything like that. It was it was absolutely incredible what he pulled off. That's another spot like you were talking about before. I bet David Onama with you. I was on Onama also. Didn't think it was going to happen like that. <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah, it really was. And um, yeah, can't wait to see what he does next. Um, take note is all I got to say. Because like people... You know, it's funny, like people are so contradictory. It's like, oh, you're wiki capping and, and, and this and that. And it's like, dude, like every every uh, champion was once a contender and every contender was once a prospect. So it's like when John Jones fought fucking Andre Guzmao and Stefan Bonner, he hadn't fought anybody at the time. And people are going to be like, oh, but Stefan Bonner had the three round war with Forrest Griffin. Stefan Bonner has been in there with so many better people. But it's like. Like, yeah, you can go on Wiki and tell me his resume. I don't give a shit. How do they match up? Like, so, like, just because John Jones had never fought anybody and Stefan Bonner has been in there with Forrest Griffin and all these other guys, therefore, Stefan Bonner is going to win the fight. Like, guys, that's not how you cap fights. And that's literally the bullshit I was hearing people talk about in the Benitez Onama fight. So, just, just stop with that. It's about how they match up stylistically. So, yeah, again, like, could, could you imagine, like, could you imagine? Picking Stefan Bonner to be uh, John Jones just because oh Stefan Bonner has been in there with real guys and John Jones hadn't at the time. Like, 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 come on, please. No, so. there, there are certain fights that are set up specifically for the young guy to go ahead and pass the test and move on to the next level. That's exactly what that kind of fight is. And sometimes they're hard to identify, man. I, I'll be honest. Like, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a perfect better, obviously. No, I've fallen, none of us I've are. fallen to those. That's a trap spot. A lot of people get caught there. But yeah, man, sometimes you just got to see when that changing of the guard fight is taking place. And honestly, guys, when it comes to sports betting, I, I try to attack sports betting like an MMA fighter. You know, sometimes you got to wrestle. Sometimes you got to go to the low calf kick. Sometimes you're outgunned and a flying knee is all you got left in the tank. Like you got to change the style up. And that's, you know, that that's what betting is all about for me is that sometimes it's the dogs. Sometimes it's the favorites. Sometimes you pull up Wikipedia and you go, oh shit, this guy's had a rough past. He used to shovel sand in Africa. He's going to come out and beat somebody's ass. And then you cash a million tickets in a row on Francis freaking Nanganu. Like, that's what it takes sometimes. So like, you, you can't get too down on anybody or make fun of anybody's process, man. If it works, it works. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they got to take an L, learn from their mistakes and come back better. Like you, yeah. Uh, you just can't look at these things so black and white, man. There's so much exactly. in between. There's so many details to pay attention to. So, look, Israel Adesanya beat Robert Whitaker. We don't need to really talk about that. We know Izzy is fighting Jared Cannonier most likely next. Should be one hell of a title fight. Can't wait to see it. You had Hinato Moicano putting on that absolute clinic 
against uh, Alexander Hernandez. And as a result, hey, Hanato, you want big money? You want big checks? Poha? Well, now you got it, buddy. You're fighting RDA in not just a co-main event, Clint, in a five-round co-main event. And you don't have to cut those extra five pounds, my man. Um, so I'm I'm very excited to see because Hanato Moicano, like, People don't understand that this dude's been in the UFC a while too. He's beat some good guys, man. He beat Calvin Cater. He beat Cub Swanson, Jeremy Stevens. Like, and guys, don't don't give me no Jeremy Stevens most losses in UFC <laughs> history bullshit. Guys, Jeremy Stevens knocked out RDA. Jeremy Stevens knocked out Josh Emmett. Like Jeremy Stevens, like 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 he's only fought the best of the best. So yeah. You know, when you're an average athlete and you're fighting the best of the best, yeah, you're going to take some L's. But if they would have given him a bunch of bums, he'd have a bunch of wins. But he still beat some real guys. But back to my point, and not to kind of beat those guys. He beat Tukugov, uh, most recently Alex Hernandez. And it's not, again, I'm not high on Hernandez, but look how, look how he handled Hernandez. No fucking early adversity at all. Like I was worried. Like there's always that one time in a in a Moicano fight where he gets cracked early every single fight, and, and that didn't even and that didn't even happen. So like. I was very happy to see that, but now we're back to that big test where Hanato in the past has not passed. <laughs> in the past has not passed, uh, but two different versions of the word past. But you get what I'm saying. Um, you know, the zombie fight comes to mind. I was in attendance for that fight. It's funny. And again, just to be a little humorous, and I'm not talking shit, but like, uh, you know, like how when you go to the baseball game and like you bring your glove with you because you want to catch that foul ball or that home run or whatever. Um, dude, when I was in attendance for the zombie and the uh, Moicano fight, I should have brought my baseball glove because Korean zombie punted <laughs> and knocked those head into the fifth row and uh, it flew over <laughs> me and Shaq's head. You know what I'm saying, man? But, uh, dude, I cannot wait to see him fight RDA. You had Bobby Green. We talked about him. And then the other one I want to talk about, um, dude, this fucking kid, Ronnie Lawrence. I mean, again, um, I'm not sure if I talked to you about this, but I've talked about this specific topic ad nauseum. I'm, I'm not going to um, bring up the whole, you know, the guys that can re- relentlessly shoot takedown after takedown after takedown again. You guys have heard me talk about that enough. He is one of those guys, by the way. But yeah. I need you guys to start paying attention to what Dana says um, on, on Dana White choosing that contender, the reasoning he gives why or why he doesn't sign someone. With Impa Kasang and I, um, dude, when he did not sign Impa the first time, there was a fucking uproar like oh my god are you stupid for not signing impa but what was dana's reasoning for not signing it but he said listen i think the kid's talented it's just if he comes into the ufc right now he might get seriously hurt and guess what happened clint he ends up on the wrong side of the worst knockout in ufc history he said about that kid joseph holmes like i I like him but i just i just don't quite think he's ready guess what happened he wasn't quite ready he says about ronnie lawrence I think this kid might be special. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, is this kid special? I mean, you see the numbers he's putting up. So, and then the shit he said about Jamal Hill. Like, so, look, he's not going to, look, Dana's not going to be right all the time. There's going to be, you know, we're, we're still humans, you know. There's room for error, but mostly, like, his reasoning for signing and not signing people, for the most part, is pretty fucking sound. And I, I take note of actually what he says. Like, when I'm watching, like, uh, a fight of an up-and-coming guy that was on Contender Series. I'll watch the fight, and then I'll go back uh, to the end of the show and hear why or why not Dana uh, signed them. And his reasoning for uh, Ronnie Lawrence uh, was a very, very sound, and turned out it was very true, my friend. 
Yeah, man. Uh, that's the kind of thing where you kind of got to read between the lines with Dana White. Well, when it comes to these young up-and-coming contenders, he doesn't pull any punches, man. Dana White. Sometimes we got to wonder what the heck is going on. You know, Conor McGregor doesn't want to fight, you know, so he always pulls that move when uh, a bunch of people are being questionable you know he's trying to pressure them into a fight he wants them to take a spot like that's that's when you got to wonder about dana white when you get these young up-and-comers before he has any kind of a relationship with them he really tells you what he thinks about them on the contender series he's not trying to pressure anybody he's trying to get some young kids off on the right foot and if he thinks they can make it in the ufc he'll let you know he'll give them a shot if he thinks they're going to be a problem in the ufc he also will let you know so yeah man coming out of dana white contender series i think uh I think we got to pay very close attention to what Dana White says about these kids because we'll we'll have some gems moving forward because a guy like Ronnie Lawrence couldn't have a better example than that. He's gonna be a problem. That kid's a complete animal. Hey, everybody, do us that favor: smash that like button for us, and go on Twitter, retweet this, let people know that we're out here talking fights, being entertaining. If you're enjoying this, a uh, comment afterwards. All that stuff all that stuff helps the show. Hit the subscribe button. We're going to wrap things up now with the first uh, card of February, which was Strickland versus Hermanson. And look, Strickland beat Hermanson officially via split decision, which is crazy. I thought he won every round, man. But listen, <laughs> uh, I got some differing opinions from some other people. Uh, my, my good friend and co-host of Half the Battle for the Fight Breakdown, Shaq, me and him were talking about this fight, and we disagree. And I, I wish he was here now so he we could go back and forth. But he's like, man, that was like a lackluster performance. I, I actually disagree. Look, I know it wasn't the most entertaining. I know that it wasn't fight of the night, fight of the year. I know it's not a fight that anybody's in a rush to go back and rewatch. However, when you get into a five-round main event UFC fight against a top-five guy and you barely get touched and you're on the feet all five rounds and you completely shut this guy down... Um, and he can't do anything. He can't touch you. He, he's literally helpless out there. Like, dude, like I was very impressed because it kind of reminds me again, the comparison I'm about to make, please guys don't blow this out of proportion. Don't take this out of context. But like, you remember like these Floyd Mayweather fights where like, yeah, they'd go the full 12 round, you know, distance. They were kind of boring, but like he took no fucking damage. All 12 rounds would just jab you up in and out no problem like the fact that strickland is just so casually beating a top five guy and not taking any damage at all like dude it, it's something to note again i i get it's not a shaft cat rachmanov spinning hook kick i get that you know it's not a jamal hill you know send the guy into outer space you know <laughs> orbit type knock i i get that but like talking about just clean and efficient and methodical like i was very very impressed with sean strickland um and i wish shaq was here so we could argue about it being lackluster yeah <laughs> is it fight of the night no but that's not my point here my point here is like it's hard to deal with the guy that you can't touch and like and it can just jab you and jab you and this guy strickland's a problem man i'm, I'm excited to see what he does next i agree dan that's something that i think uh people people don't give it enough credit you know, it's like these wrestlers where people just want to yell how boring it is that they take somebody down and lay on them for 15 minutes. Dude, that's hard as shit. Like, have you ever controlled another human being pushing with all their might to get you off? It is not easy to stay ahead of that and keep them down. What Sean Strickland does, being able to completely nullify somebody's offense with his hands to piece them apart the way that he does almost 
effortlessly for 25 minutes. Like it, it is impressive in its own way. I know we all love the highlight reel KOs. I know we love the bloody back and forth brawls where both guys are bleeding and spitting up blood in their corners. But what Sean Strickland does is masterful. The person is clinically insane, but he is sure as hell got some skills in the cage. He found his calling, and that's for sure. I, I can't wait to see more from Sean Strickland. I can't wait to see what he does with his next couple of fights. Uh, I think I think we're in for a real treat, man. And I'm still not sure if he's good or bad for the sport with some of the shit that he says. Uh, I can't quite make up my mind if I want him to stop talking or, or someone to put a mic on him 24-7. But he is sure as hell entertaining, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and all that stuff's noise to me. To me, it's just about the performances. I mean, unless you're like... Know a Nazi piece of shit or something, then it's like get him off my TV. But to me, used I'm, to be. I I know, <laughs> but but apparently he found the light. And as you know, someone that's born in the tribe, normally I'd have an issue with that, and, and I do have an issue with that. But at least he's not that guy anymore. At least, like I believe in second chances. He never that's killed cool. anybody allegedly, and um, allegedly, uh, allegedly, you know. Um, Hopefully he's not that guy anymore. So it sounds like he isn't. Anyways, I can't wait to see his next fight. Nick Maximoff, I'll just keep it quick. Back to what I've been saying this whole time. Guys, long term, you bet Nick Maximoff. You bet Marab Devalishvili. You bet Bilal Muhammad. You bet Islam Makachev. You bet Armin Sarukian. You bet, you bet Ronnie Lawrence. You bet Bryce Mitchell. You're going to be on the right side of the coin uh, long term. So just know, just keep betting those guys. Shafkat Rekmanov, this motherfucker's a problem. <laughs> this guy, oh my God, like the way he handled Carlston Harris, I mean, spinning hook kick uh, in the first round, keeps getting better every single fight. I think Shafkat is another blue chip prospect that we got to look out for in the welterweight division. And back to the talk that we were having about ushering these guys out the rankings, like, like just, you know, I, I love me some Santiago Ponzinibbio, I love me some Jeff Neal. I even love me some Neil Magny, but I feel like as the years progress, these guys are going to slowly be ushered. And it's sad about Jeff Neal because he's young, but after since he's had that sepsis, he hasn't looked the same. Um, and I, and so I think these guys like Shafkat Rekmanov uh, are going to come out here, usher these guys out, usher out these Michael Chiesas and and – you know, guys like that, uh, Jorge Masvidal is number six in the world. I don't think that's going to stick around too long. All due respect to the BMF. Um, so, yeah, that's my opinion. I think Shafkat is on the way up, baby. What you think? I'm with you, Dan. It just we talked about it before. Young man's game. Unfortunately, in MMA, you've got a small window to make a pile of money as quickly as you can. And then, you know, some of these guys are cut out to to run the uh, the legend circuit. They can hang around in the UFC, be that gatekeeper, take a couple fun fights from some other well-known names. Uh, but your your time in the sun is very limited in the sport of MMA. Shavkat Rachmanov is a great prospect. I love what he brings to the table. He's going to be a, another guy that we're talking about as a contender here very, very shortly. Um, I know Nico Price is a super exciting fighter. Um, I love watching a fight. Should we let Shafkat take him out real quick? Oh, man, I love Nico. The The run that he has been on with these last couple fights, I want anybody but Shafkat Rachmanov for I know, Nico Price. I know, let's, but... let's get a win before we throw him to oh, someone he, he like that. He beat Alex Cowboy. Oh, that's true. That's true. He beat Alex Cowboy. So, I mean, I guess maybe it's that time then, man. Maybe it is that time. I'm a diehard Nico Price fan. He's such a funny and nice, genuine dude. That I love uh, him, too. I love him, yeah. too. But, but you know it's coming though. <laughs> you know he's gonna get that call. Of life, you know. So, uh, but uh, 
Julian Arosa, Steve Peterson put on a hell of a fight. John Castaneda, holy shit, did he drown Miles Johns? God damn, that was dominant. He that broke ticket. that man. That was amazing. Chitty and Jaquani, people calling that a fluke because it was a 16 second knockout. Uh, go look on Chitty's resume. He knocked out Andre Fialio in like 16 seconds, too. Yeah. This guy, uh, I cannot wait to see what he does. But the one I want to talk about is Jailton Almeida. Like, when you talk about a UFC debut, like, Oh my god! Like I was like, dude, because like with Chitty, I'm like, yeah, that was fucking awesome. Can't wait to see your next fight. But with Jail Ten Almeida, I'm instantly saying, hey, he's a future top ten guy. Period. Like I truly believe. Like let me pull up these rankings right now at two hundred five. So, like, I mean, I think Jail Ten Almeida can submit Ryan Span in the first round. Um, what do you think would happen if Jailton Almeida got on top of number five, Tiago Santos? You understand what I'm saying? So, like, Absolutely. I, I actually think he, his his skills are top 15 right now. But since he's only had one fight in the UFC, they might, you know, just let him crush some dudes that uh, have no business in there with him, such as Danilo Marquez. Um, but uh, Don't fast track that kid. It's only going to take him a handful of fights to get into the contender circle. Yeah, no, you're right, um, and and rightfully so. I mean, this Jailton kid, I mean, way to make an impression. And last but not least, Philip Rowe. Um, you know, I bet on him in that fight, and it was just a case where I was just, like, thinking to myself, just touch Jason Witt's chin one time. Once. That's literally it. Like, fucking get laid on the entire time, and once you're ready to let that straight go, that'll be all she wrote. That was all she wrote. Uh, the thing with Phil Rowe... Um, I guess that we are, we got to be concerned about. Look, he definitely made weight this time, but he's a six foot three man with an eighty inch reach. Eventually, he's going to have to move up to uh, to middleweight. He's he's thirty one, so he's at that point where, you know, he's got a like he's got either got to truly lock in with that nutrition and that diet. Like I get he made it this time, but you got to start making it consistently, especially if you're getting highlight reel knockouts back to back. They're going to move you up, and you cannot be missing weight, um, you know, as you move up the rankings, right? So. With with Phil Rowe, let's just see, let's just see how the weight management works. But the guy's got size, the guy's got skills, and when he lands that money right hand on people, like you saw the punch he landed on Orion Kose, it looked like his life flashed before his eyes. And then with Jason Witt, we don't even need to say anything. We know it was just going to be one punch, and the fight was going to be over shortly after. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what Phil Rowe does next. Just don't rush uh, him up too quick. I agree, man. I had a bet on Phil Rowe right there with you that night. That was a a rather large bet that I had, and he's got a good skill set. He's got a slick ground game. He's another guy that's training with a good team. He's got that nasty frame for the division. If he can keep that nutrition under control, if he can stick at that weight class, he is another guy that probably is going to be a serious problem. Probably needs to touch up that wrestling and get up game just a little bit. But uh, outside of that, he's got all the skills I'm looking for, and, and I love his finishing ability. He can choke people out. He can TKO people. Like He's got those knees. He, he's going to be a fun guy to watch fight for the next couple of years for sure. Got my boy Blood Diamond in the house. I don't know if this is the actual Blood Diamond, but if it is, I mean, dude, to come into the UFC 3-0, and that takes balls because, I mean, I think that people need a lot of ex- uh, seasoning and experience. Plus, coming from a kickboxing background, you're fighting a jiu-jitsu black belt in Jeremiah Wells. Hey, and you didn't tap out much respect, man. I just hope that, you know, like, let, let's like take it, you know, let's take it a little bit slower, man. Let's like, I'm not trying to match make right now, but uh, all, all I got to say regarding that is, uh, you know, that first fight, man, that was a tough fight. Hopefully they give you a easier fight on the next one, uh, Blood Diamond. But uh, Clint, 
man, this has been a lot of fun, man. I appreciate you coming on here. You know, it's been good talking to you uh, right here, right now on half the battle. It's been an absolute pleasure. I cannot wait to have you back next time. Jamal Hill uh, fights. We'll do your show and then you can come on my show anytime you want. Um, the fans can follow you at diehard MMA pod. Make sure you all check out his podcast, diehard MMA pod. It's really fucking awesome. And Clint, uh, I'm not just saying this because he's here. He's one of my favorite guys in this game because um, I, I, obviously we are friends, but there's a reason we are friends. I mean, you're a positive dude. Um, there's no negative energy, but you're also not like some ass kisser. Like you're not a bullshitter either. Like, like you're a real ass dude and we share a lot of common values. We, we don't like negativity. Like, so we just see eye to eye on a lot of things. Even if we disagree on fights, that's the beauty of it. We can debate the fights respectfully. There's never been, you, you see these arguments on Twitter with people going back and forth and then it starts getting personal and then people start bringing up past losing bets and then people start be calling people names like me and you like i've gone back and forth passionately and never walked out like without like a virtual handshake right so to Absolutely. me you're the fucking man in my book uh, i hope everybody follows you um and thank you again for being here man i really appreciate it dan thank you very much for having me on my friend seriously i, I really appreciate it i've gone from being a, a massive fanboy of your show to you know being a colleague and being a friend and uh that means the absolute world to me like you mentioned i love that we line up on a lot of our, our processes and values and it's just been awesome getting to know you as a person man for real so i i always appreciate it and uh can't wait to have you back on the show, man. Love talking fights with you, as is tradition. Next time Jamal Hill steps in the cage, we'll have you back on the show. And, uh, you know, obviously beforehand, if it takes him a while to get a fight lined up. But <laughs> it's uh, it's always fun. Thank you for having me on. It was cool to, to not talk so much betting and just to, you know, riff about some fights and have kind of a more casual conversation. This was an absolute blast, man. So thank you. Oh, man. Uh, everything you said means the world to me, and I echo your sentiments. I feel the exact same way, so thank you so much. Everybody, do us that favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Go on Twitter, retweet, like share. Every, all those little things that you guys do, it might not seem like much, but it really helps the show tremendously and helps get the word out there because, guys, I don't have some big fucking website pushing me and all this. And, and again, I'm not throwing a pity party saying that I'm very proud to be independent. You know, I built my own studio. I built my own show. I built my own following. So with that being said, you know, you, you guys, the fans are the ones that help me get out there. You guys are the reasons I do this. So thank you so fucking much. And let's just keep pushing it out there and let the whole world know about it. Cause I do really feel like, you know, not only not only are we truly passionate, I feel like we're giving out good information, man. Um, and it's something that I genuinely enjoy doing, man. So very happy to be here. Had a great show tonight. Follow Clint. Follow me at Best Fight Picks on Twitter. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. Shaq and I will be back Thursday morning at 1030 a.m. Eastern time to break down UFC 272 start to finish. Um, and so far, I got bets on Yan Zhaonan at plus 250. Already beat that line. And Bryce Mitchell. I get it. I get it. Edson Barboza. Oh, my God. It's Edson Barboza. Like, yeah, but Edson Barboza off his back. Can't land flying knees and spinning wheel kicks. And if Bryce decides to bang, then I deserve to lose that bet. But between you and me, Bryce is not going to bang. Bryce is going to be shooting on the legs right away. And to take it a step further, he's the guy that can attempt 13 takedowns without getting tired. 
another thing. I'm going to break it down when I when the when the time comes. But I just want to mention a couple things. Like I'm not going to sit here and bring up the Habib fight because I know if I do that, everyone's going to be like, "Oh my God, you're comparing Bryce to Habib." So I'm not even going to mention the Habib fight. I'm just going to mention the Kevin Lee fight. What did Kevin Lee do? Walked him down the entire time, and when it was time to take him down, he took him down, couldn't get back up. Now, why is that opposite from what Makwan Amirkani did? Makwan Amirkani did not walk him down. Makwan Amirkani backed up the entire time. However, when Makwan Amirkani finally decided to shoot, he got him down, and guess what? Edson couldn't get up. The only reason Edson got up is because Mario Yamasaki's dumbass brother was like, guys, this is a fight. Get up. Well, luckily, that guy's not going to be in the room uh, Saturday night, so you don't got to worry about that shit. So, um, I'm not, look, I'm not guaranteeing a win. I'm just saying I put my money down, and I think these kind of spots, like I've been telling y'all, I'm going to I'm gonna run to the fucking window with this. I'm going to run to the well. I'm going to beat a dead horse. These guys that can shoot relentlessly, I've named them a million times, bet on them, and you will win long term. So thank you guys again. Thank you, Clint. Uh, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Share, comment, retweet, everything. We truly appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. Ball gang. <laughs>